0: Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And Father, we just pause to ask for the help and the assistance of your Holy Spirit to prepare us Lord, we want to have an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church assembled this morning as we open the word of God. We pray that you would prepare us. And as always, Lord, we don't want to hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but we want to experience the demonstration of your spirit and the power of God speaking things personally to our hearts individually and collectively as a group assembled today to worship you. So Lord, you know what that means for each one of us. We ask that you take away that which would distract or hinder and that make us ready, Lord, and speak to us by your Spirit's ministry now. And we pray this expectantly together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, what is the answer this morning to the situation that you find yourself concerned about? It could be that you're thinking that it's to try harder. Or perhaps is the right answer to actually just trust more. You can try harder or you can trust more. Striving is defined this way, making great efforts to achieve or working hard to obtain something. Relying is defined this way, to be dependent upon something with full trust and confidence. So there is the option of striving in the flesh through earthly human strength that is making various human efforts working hard to perhaps we might say bring something about to try and make it happen and that usually involves to some degree scheming through our own activities to try and force something to come to pass or create something to happen that we want and then there's the opposite of that which is relying fully upon god's power and just confidently depending upon God to bring about that thing that we desire, or maybe that thing that we're concerned about. Trusting God can accomplish something without scheming human tactics. And as we look at these verses this morning, they're a great reminder that the Christian life is really about trusting God's power. Trusting the power of God and believing that the Lord can do what is needed as well as just serving the Lord from time to time as well also involves the same thing, trusting God's power and believing that God can do what he intends to do in people's lives. Jesus said, the spirit gives life and he said, the flesh profits nothing. That is the efforts of human flesh ultimately profit nothing. And that is in the sense of nothing of true spiritual eternal value they may accomplish things on a temporal level that look profitable but they really don't accomplish anything profitable in regards to the kingdom of god ultimately but jesus said it's the spirit who brings forth life and god's power and that's the truth we'll see emphasized in today's passage remember the background of where we're at paul has been speaking recently about the glorious power of the ministry of the spirit of the Lord working inside of the life of the Christian. He talked about how when we first turned to the Lord in faith as Savior, there was a supernatural process that happened whereby our eyes were opened and now we see and understand spiritual realities in a way that we didn't see before We receive Jesus Christ, that spiritual blindness is removed from us, we're brought into the light when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we now see the things of God clearly. All of a sudden now we perceive it, it makes sense to us, we understand it. And he also talked about how as the Spirit of the Lord then resides within us, and he is now with us, in the life of each Christian and among the church is the body of Christ that He's working, the Holy Spirit is in our lives, bringing, He said, liberty or freedom, liberation. He's liberated us from the law of Moses and following rules and regulations. And now we live by grace as the Holy Spirit directs us from within, showing us how to live according to God's word and God's will of what's right and what's wrong. He liberates us from the power of Satan and sin, controlling us in an enslaved way, doing things that we should not be doing. And he develops a deeper experience within us of what it means to have true relationship with God. And he gives us the ability to walk with God and the power to change, as we talked about last week. And Paul's been celebrating how this new covenant ministry in Jesus Christ is something that he's privileged to be able to be using to serve people in an effective way. And he says it's a ministry that assures that people can be forgiven of sin and have a right standing with God by their trust, not in their own works, but by the finished work of Jesus. And Paul's described as well how it's a wonderful ministry that removes things like the fear of death and condemnation and guilt and things like that that would make a person feel miserable because it brings inner life spiritually as the spirit of God's working inside of us. And he's changing us and transforming us by his power rather than our own efforts now. Paul goes on here in chapter four to say, therefore, and the idea again, that's, and that's why the backdrop's important. That's in light of these things, therefore, in light of this, he says, since we have this ministry, this new covenant kind of ministry, as we have received mercy, he says, we do not lose heart. So notice, because new covenant ministry, Paul's going to say, Is based upon the Spirit's power to work in people's lives and not our own striving to make things work. Paul says that's actually what helps us not to get discouraged and give up. That's what gives us confidence to carry on when it's hard. He says, since we've received, notice verse 1, this kind of ministry, that is a, a ministry that's a task that's not dependent upon human performance but that is fully reliant upon the power of God's Spirit to work in people's lives, to bring changes in people's lives, and it's connecting people to God's power and not ultimately feeling the sense of responsibility that I've got to change these people or somehow I need to do something to make things go differently. Paul says, since we've received that kind of a ministry, as well as, he says, verse 1, since we've also, notice he says, received mercy. That is the Lord's patience and the Lord's, uh, you know, merciful relating to them in their own failures and shortcomings. Paul says it's these realities that we receive that kind of a ministry and that we've also ourselves experienced ministry or, or mercy from God ourselves. He says that's what helps us not to lose heart. That is to become faint and weary and to give up. See, because Paul and his team had experienced firsthand in their own lives the mercy of God and the patience of God with them in connection to their own failures, and because they as well knew that the power for helping people to change was not their job, but it was the Spirit's role to bring change and to help people to live differently. This, Paul says, is what helped them avoid getting wearied and discouraged in trying to help people, in trying to do things to serve people without giving up. Because, look, when we're trying to help people, Let's be very candid, it can be a very draining process. I don't know any parent who a degree is not more tired now than before they gave birth to their first child and multiple children afterwards, right? It's a exhausting process, whether it's just losing sleep because they won't go to bed and stay in bed all night long and wake up all night long, or whether it's losing sleep because they're teenagers and then you're worried about what they're doing until they get home and you want to go to sleep now at 9.30 because you're getting old, but yet they want to stay up till ten, eleven o'clock at night, and whatever the process, it's an exhausting, draining process, or whether Whether it's just being concerned about them and losing sleep because you love them and you're worried about what's going on in their life now. And whether it's parenting or participating in any way to serve and to help people, to minister, to to serve others, it can be a very draining process. And it can be a very disheartening process. Again, whether you're parenting or no matter what you're doing, as you're trying to pour into people's lives, it can be a common temptation from time to time to start to lose heart because it's draining, because it's disheartening, because perhaps you don't see things changing in people's lives. So where do you get the stamina to carry on? Well, Paul says where he found the stamina to carry on was thinking about two things. He mentions here in verse one, that he himself had many a times experienced the mercy and patience of the Lord in his own life in regards to his own failures. In regards to his own shortcomings, that as Paul said, I realize, you know, there are a lot of times when I failed and made mistakes myself and God's been very merciful with me and he's been very patient. And that gives me the, the grace to keep being patient and merciful with others I'm serving. And he also remembered that the power to change was not something he had to supply. That it was God Himself who would supply the power and bring changes in the lives of people that He was trying to help or that He was concerned about. And Paul says, That really gives me the grace to keep carrying on. And you know, for us, that is the same thing that will give us stamina as we remember, Hey, God's been really merciful with me in my life and patient with me. And thank goodness it is not my job. To change people, it's my job to serve people and to love people, and God brings the power to change lives. That's many times the very thing that will help us, and the best thing we can do is just keep ministering to people and trusting God to work in their lives. To just keep ministering to people, it's not what you say or what you do or the lack thereof, just keep ministering to people and trust God to bring those changes in people's life by his power. Paul goes on, verse two, to say, but we have renounced, he says, the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation, he says, by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of So notice, because Paul trusted firmly in the power of the Spirit of God to bring changes into people's lives, he resolved, he says here verse 2, to resist, you might say, and I'm going to use this term, all worldly business practices that might work in business in regards to serving people or ministering to others. And I say that because, remember, part of what Paul said just recently as well, just a chapter or two ago, is he says, look, we are not going to peddle the word of God. And Paul used that marketplace business term, like somebody peddling things in a market, selling things like a merchant, trying to pull a fast one on somebody to get a good deal. And Paul says, we're not going to peddle the word of God. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use the word of God like like a... you know, something, I'm selling some merchandise that was just religious. And Paul says, I'm not gonna do that. And now as Paul gets here to this section, he says, look, because we trust that it's the power of God's spirit that works in people's lives, he says, in light of that, we have renounced, he says, the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That is, Paul says, I'm gonna just keep doing the right thing and I'm not going to let myself fall prey to these things that clearly other ministers or ministries were doing even in Paul's day. And Paul acknowledges that very reality here. As we minister to people, we, as we share God's word, as we evangelize and share the gospel with people, as we offer counseling to people, sharing God's word. <clears throat> Notice Paul says here, there are certain things we choose to, he uses that word here, we choose to renounce, And to renounce something means to formally declare an abandonment of that thing. The idea is that you make a formal decision, you resolve, I will abandon and refuse that in any way. I'm abandoning using something like that once and for all. Paul says here, look what he says, verse 2, we've renounced, he says, the things of shame, not walking in craftiness. Paul says there are some things we have refused to ever become engaged in, and one of the things he mentions is the things of shame, that is doing secret things in private and personal life that are shameful. He said this is something that we sought to resist, things being done that are shameful that are being hidden because it's known in the conscience of a person That what they are doing is wrong and shameful and that's why it's covered and why it stays in the dark. When people are doing shameful things, they cover it and they hide it because they know it's wrong. And sadly, look, sadly people do such things. And sadly, even more grievous is sometimes even ministers and ministries do hidden shameful things. Wrong things in secret and in hiding. Listen to what Paul says to the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter five, verses 11 and 12. Paul's, listen, writing to a church and he's writing to Christians. And listen to what he says. Have no fellowship, partnership, involvement with the unfruitful works of darkness. Wait a minute, you're saying that to Christians? To church? But rather expose them. For it is, he says, shameful, there's our word, even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You see the tie together there? Shameful things being done in secret. That's how it happens. Because a person knows it's shameful or a minister knows it's shameful or a ministry knows it's shameful, they do it in a hidden, undercover way and and there's shameful activities that can be going on and those things happen in secret until ultimately God exposes them, because God always exposes them. Right? The Bible says your sin will find you out. Things always come to the surface. It's not a matter of if it will, it's just a matter of how long. Ultimately, it will come out. And, and look, so the Bible says we need to recognize these kind of things can happen in people's lives. They can happen even, sadly, in ministries or among ministers, shameful things and paul says we have renounced we've abandoned we are not going to let ourselves do that we are not going to let ourselves start doing shameful wrong things in private and hiding things that we should not be doing matthew 23 jesus even identified a false teacher or a dangerous religious worker in this way he said outwardly they appear appear righteous before people but inwardly they are living in ways that are characterized by jesus said self-indulgence greed, hypocrisy, and wickedness. And Jesus himself described those who can be living privately in sinful practices, but yet giving a completely different public image and how grievous and sad it is when someone falls prey to that. You know, may the Lord help each of us by his power, by the power of his, what's it called? The Holy Spirit. That's who he's called, the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit works in our life that by his power and grace, he would keep any of us from ever slipping into the condition where we would use our public presentation or position or anything else to hide shameful things that we would begin to start doing in secret and evil behaviors. Paul also, he says here in verse 2, refuse to walk, he says, notice, in craftiness. The idea there is deception, where you're being crafty. It's a term often used to speak of how the devil works in crafty, deceitful ways, trying to deceive or misguide or manipulate people to who we really are in our character. And Paul says we've renounced that kind of stuff. We have chosen to ever allow ourselves to get into that. We've abandoned such things, though others may be caught doing that. He says to use crafty methods to lie, to try and, you know, persuade or manipulate people to to maybe get a little more success. And a lot of times these become the underlying motivations for this kind of stuff is people do shameful things. They cut corners in the same way people have, you know, crooked business practices to advance their business. Sadly, people do the same thing in every other arena of life. For some personal advantage, they start to do crooked and underhanded things. And sadly, there are those who walk in crafty ways that are deceiving people. Just living a lie, pretending to be something. It's an outward show to cover an underlying agenda, but they just keep in secret doing what's wrong. And Paul says, we don't want to do that. And even sadder, there are times, as I said, when ministers can even do these things. And this is what was grieving Paul's heart, as he realized that there were those who were doing such. Paul's going to say this in chapter 11, and hear the, the gravity of this. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's going to describe false apostles, deceitful workers, and listen to what he says, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And he says, no wonder, for Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. He says, look, if the devil, in his efforts to be crafty and deceptive, transforms himself into an angel of light to try and deceive people, he says, is it any surprise that, and here's the thing, he says, his ministers? Are you kidding me? Satan has ministers in the church? Apparently so. that God said it. I didn't say it. He says, is it any surprise that his ministers would also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness? When yet all the while there's the evil, underlying things going on. So sad, sadly, there are those who are doing it. You know, and sadly, even Paul realized there were those just using crafty methods, again, to kind of bait and draw people in, and just taking the whole. Work of the kingdom of God and operating ministry, just even just like a business, you know, with, with marketing techniques and approaches to persuade people. And they're just kind of seen as like religious customers. Uh, and, and it's so easy to kind of just slip into that kind of thing, you know, baiting people with fleshly efforts instead of trying to let God work in lives and draw people just using marketing techniques and persuasive approaches to kind of just through fleshly means do those kind of things. And Paul said, man, we made a decision. We don't want to get involved in that kind of stuff. We just don't want to do that. He said, we resolve not to fall prey to that. And, you know, may God help us by his grace to not fall prey in any way, to living a double life, to ever finding ourselves in a place where we become guilty in some way of, he says, verse two, hidden things of shame or walking in craftiness, trying to trick people. We should instead have a strong desire, God, help us to walk in the light, help us to keep things in the light and to walk in truth. And Paul says as well, verse two, Another thing he renounced that he would not do, look what he says, is he says, we also have abandoned ever handling, he says, verse 2, the word of God deceitfully. The idea there to handle the word of God deceitfully It's literally a term that speaks of adulterating God's word by diluting it with other things. It was a term used to describe how they at times with things like, you know, wine and other things, at times would would purposely dilute it with water to try and spread it longer. But in diluting it, obviously you would weaken the, uh, you know, the, the, the substance itself. But this is kind of the idea of adulterating, diluting the word of God by watering it down, by mixing other things into it to dilute its truth. And look, some teachers in Paul's day, as the word of God describes it, as well as now, nothing new under the sun, handle God's word in improper ways. It is just a reality. There are those who water down the truth of the biblical gospel to soften or to sell it in a much easier way to people. To not truly convey to people the claims of the biblical gospel, but to present a watered-down gospel message because it seems easier and more palatable for people to respond But again, my question is, if they're responding, what are they responding to? What are they responding to if it's not a true gospel? That's even worse because now we're giving false security to people or to water down the truths of scripture that they think are just becoming too hard for the modern society to embrace. And look, we live in a different generation now, and so we have to be politically correct, and we adjust everything else, and the world's adjusting everything. So in the church, if we want to keep up with the world— We better start adjusting and diluting certain truths of God's word that society doesn't agree with, or we're going to be a part of the next cancel culture. And and so they start to dilute and adulterate the word of God, not handling it properly, but in a deceitful way, or even just watering down God's commands or principles, again, to accommodate people's lives instead of challenging them to do what's right. You know, and that could be so easy to do. to to accommodate someone's life instead of saying, no, look, the truth of God's word is this. And instead of you living that way, I'm challenging you live different, man. Bring your life into conformity with the word of God and, and to challenge them to turn to the Lord and to change. You know, I think it's also very possible as well to handle God's word in a wrong way, deceitfully, by, as the term indicates, by just mixing other things into it and diluting the power and the purity of the very word of God itself. I mean, a person can spend too much time in teaching the word of God with filling it and diluting it with all kinds of other things. You know, interesting stories and funny jokes and lots of illustrations and props and statistics and, and just all these other things that, you know, they can have their place in a Bible study here or there to help people connect the dots. But you can also overly fill up a teaching of God's word where it's more about all those things. And the reason is because the one who's speaking is so concerned that their talk has to stay interesting to their listeners You know, and and I see a lot of this kind of stuff going on now with kind of this hipster approach. You know, hey, I'll be giving a talk at this next company. We ain't even a talk. I hope you're giving a teaching, bro. A talk. Hey, I got two sessions. I'm giving a talk. What is a talk? Are you teaching the Word of God, or are you just talking to people? What are you doing? And there's just kind of this mindset, again, well, I got to keep God's words interesting. Or even there's the air, I think, of opportunity in teaching the word of God that's to be cautioned against of even just airing opinions too much. You know, I don't know about you. I've listened to some teachings in the last year and a half, and I hear way too much in teachings about vaccines and COVID and masks and lockdowns. Just, can you just teach the Bible? And just let the Holy Spirit help everybody figure out all that other nonsense? <laughs> And again, this is the kind of stuff where we can just very tragically make the error of not handling God's word properly and we start to misuse and manipulate God's word and that's poor stewardship, Paul would say. And Paul says, we've renounced that. We don't wanna let ourselves do those kind of things and pollute the sacredness of the spirit inspired word of God. And I'll tell you something, we wanna be careful of this. We don't wanna be guilty of this in our pulpits We don't want to be guilty of this as Christians in the opportunities that we have to teach Bible studies or to share the gospel with people and try and evangelize or offer some counsel to people. And I'll tell you, the reason this error happens at times mishandling the word of God is really for one main reason, because we fail to trust in the power of God's word. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, if we truly believe in faith, in the potency and the power of the spirit-inspired, authoritative, infallible, and errant word of God, we wouldn't find ourselves finding all these other avenues to water down, spice it up, make it more powerful. We, we wouldn't do that. We would trust the supernatural power in God's word and we would respect it and we would just deliver it and we would do everything we can not to get our own you know, self in the way to pollute it or to dilute it and we would rely on its power without feeling like we got to adjust it or apologize for it or do something to, you know, add something to help it, you know, something that keeps it. What was the right approach? Paul tells us verse two. He says, here's the right approach, but this is what we are doing by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. There's the right approach. Paul gives the contrast. They manifested, which means they revealed or brought forth openly, The truth of God. Paul says we simply declared God's word directly as it is. We did our best to be faithful to present the unchanging truth of God's eternal word to people in front of us to speak what God has spoken. He says we do this. Notice he says verse 2 in the sight of God. That's what kept Paul accountable. God, you wrote this, God, it's yours, and you're watching every time I share it. And so therefore, God, I don't want to do something that's not this, you know, pleasing to you. And he says, what we do, he says, verse 2, is we appeal to every man's conscience. You know, This shows that Paul understood something, that he knew the conscience of man is something that God has given to every person. Right When God created every one of us, the Bible teaches that God has given to us this thing internally called a conscience. He's given to us this internal moral judge inside of us in the core of our being that interprets everything that's going on in our life and our conscience is this internal compass that judges right and wrong. And even before you were a Christian, that conscience was working. You remember it. You know. Even when you were doing something wrong, you, you kind of knew it was wrong. Right, and and so you don't even have to be filled with the Spirit of God to know something's right or wrong. God's given a conscience to every human being. There's this internal judge that says, "I really probably shouldn't be doing that, or I shouldn't have stolen that, or I should." And that's there within us. And at the same time, when we do what's right, it commends us. Yeah, that was the right thing to do. You were honest in that situation. You know, this past Friday evening, I was at uh, the uh, youth group. I went over to help out because Tommy and Gina were away, and, and they were playing this game with. Uh, flag belts on, pulling flags like a tag game or whatever. And one of the young men came over and it, it, they Velcro on. And one of the young men had his flag, not just Velcroed, but then he wrapped it multiple times around the belt. So that if you tried to pull on it, you know, it just, it would not just pull off like the Velcro or whatever. And, and one of the other kids who was listening to his conscience said to him, hey bro, that's cheating. And he says, if you're going to cheat, you can't be on my team. And I was like, Man, right on, bro. <laughs> and what happened? His, his uh, You're right, you're right. And they un- unfolded his bow or whatever. But again, God's given us this beautiful thing of a conscience. And where does God speak his truth? To the conscience of human beings. By the way, his spirit bears witness with our spirit, our internal spirit, that we're children of God. God speaks in the conscience of souls. So what's Paul saying? He says, we manifest the truth to the consciences of people because we believe that God's methods work. We believe God's given people a conscience and we believe that if we just faithfully deliver God's truth, God can work in people's consciences. And that's between them and God. And so Paul just trusted in this very reality. And I'll tell you, that's wisdom. Just present the truth of God's word to people's conscience and then trust God to work in that person's life. Trust God's truth as you put it into people's hearts to let people wrestle things out in their conscience between them and God, between them and their creator. Just speak the truth to them. Tell them the truth. You don't have to sell it. You don't have to do things to try and strive with people. You don't have to use gimmicks to persuade people. Just tell them God's truth and let God wrestle with their conscience. Let God be the one who speaks to them in ways that our words never could humanly. Now, you may say, as certainly Paul's readers would, well, wait a minute. If this gospel message is so powerful and if God's word is so powerful, then why doesn't everyone just respond to it? Right. I mean, why doesn't everybody then just get saved and embrace Jesus Christ? Well, Paul's going to say because men have a free will to decide and therefore they can choose to remain deceived. Look what he goes on to say. Verse three. But even if our gospel, the message of salvation is veiled or hidden, as he's been talking about in the prior chapter, it is veiled or hidden to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Paul explains here why some remain in a blinded condition spiritually. Why they're unable to see Jesus' glorious plan. What is his glorious plan? Paul calls it the gospel there, verse 3 again, which speaks of the announcement of how salvation comes through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if that message is veiled, and we saw earlier in the last chapter, that means just hidden, it's blinding, they can't see through the veil. If it's hidden from someone being able to see that gospel message clearly, he says that is the condition, he says here, of someone, verse three, who is what? Perishing. That's a biblical term to refer to someone who's lost eternally who's spiritually unconverted, they are perishing. The idea is they're, they're being ruined and they are dying. They're in the process of perishing. Not just physically, they're gonna die, but they're in the process of perishing eternally, going from worse to worse and ultimately perishing in hell. They're being ruined by sin and Satan. Jesus used that term. Remember John three sixteen, where Jesus said, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes upon him would not, what? perish but have everlasting life and so that's a term that just speaks of the unconverted person who refuses to accept jesus Christ's gospel of salvation and regarding those who are in a lost perishing condition paul says of verse 4 about them whose minds those lost whose minds the god of this age has blinded who do not believe so notice because they choose not to believe this is why they are in that blinded condition they will not believe god's truth declared about their own lost condition someone tries to tell them that they're sinful and that their sin is something they're accountable for and that heaven and hell are real and that that your sin makes you guilty before a holy god and 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 those who don't accept christ are going to be banished to hell and and but they won't believe that They refuse to believe of their own guilty condition before God. They refuse to believe that what Jesus accomplished on their behalf is the only means of salvation. They refuse to believe, they choose not to believe that they need to repent and to humbly turn to Jesus to receive forgiveness of their sins, whether it's because they just want to keep living in a sinful lifestyle or it's because they much more prefer just living their religious lifestyle. Oh, I don't believe that. Are you kidding me? I paid for three stained glass windows in this church. I give money to it every week. I've been coming here for 35 years. I sit when they tell me to sit. I stand when they tell me to stand. I pay attention when the... That doesn't matter, ultimately. Do you know Jesus? The church, a pastor, a priest, a pope, they didn't die on the cross for your sins. Jesus did. Do you know Jesus? And when a person sadly chooses not to believe The truth, they make themselves look what the Bible says. God says they make themselves spiritually vulnerable. When someone look what he says, verse four, who does not believe that is they choose not to believe. And when you choose not to believe the truth, you make yourself spiritually vulnerable to be blinded by the devil and not see the truth about Jesus Christ. He says here, the unbeliever who is perishing is in that condition because of their unbelief. And now he says, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded them. See, the scripture teaches that Satan has a degree of spiritual power and authority over unconverted souls. When someone is perishing and they're unconverted, Satan has a degree of authority over their life. Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this present world that is this fallen world in its sinful condition those who remain attached to the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of darkness and not the kingdom of god are in a condition where they are basically being ruled over by the prince of darkness and the god of this present evil age the bible says and this is the great tragedy the devil he says blinds the minds he says there verse four of unbelievers and keeps them deceived. That word mind speaks of the perception of a person. What he's saying is that when someone chooses not to believe, they make themselves vulnerable to the devil, blinding their perceptive ability to see their true spiritual and eternal condition and that they need to receive Jesus Christ. The ruler of the darkness keeps them deceived. But what's God's heart and intention? Paul says, the end of verse four, less. In other words, this is what God wants. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God, should shine on them. God wants people to see the light. You see the contrast there? God wants people to believe the exact representation of himself was walking on this earth. Jesus, he says, who was the image of God. Jesus walked among humanity, being God in flesh, showing people the perfect image and representation of what God is like and coming to provide salvation for our sins. And sadly, those beautiful truths are unable to be seen when a person will not believe they are and they remain spiritually blinded, the Bible says, by a supernatural deception because of their choice not to believe and hardening their heart, the devil darkens the mind in their soul. And this is a very sobering but real spirituality. Look, folks, that's why we need to pray for those who we love and know around us who are unconverted and currently perishing eternally. This is why we need to pray to a God of all power to rescue people from that dreadful condition of spiritual blindness of spiritual deception, asking the Lord to soften their heart and give them a willingness, listen, to give them a willingness to believe. To give them a willingness to believe the claims and truths of God because when a person starts to humbly believe, guess what happens? The devil starts to lose his power to keep them blinded. As a person starts to be open to believing the truths of God, the devil's grip of blinding and deceiving them, and their perception starts to be opened and opened and opened, and the light of the gospel of the glory of God begins to shine into their life to a greater degree if they have a willingness to be open to believing. Now, knowing people need more than anything to have a genuine encounter with Jesus. That's why Paul says, verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves to people but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Look, Paul's primary intention, he tells us, verse 5, was to present to people the Lord Jesus Christ, and he makes it very clear in verse 5, it was not to promote himself or even the ministry that he was conducting in that time. Paul says, verse 5, we do not preach, the term there, preach, speaks to promote, to announce, or to point to, we don't promote, announce, or point to, he says, ourselves. That is ourselves as what people need. Paul was apparently careful to conduct himself in a way whereby he was not making himself the main attraction in front of the people that he was serving. As if somehow Paul became the main attraction for why people should come or the people should connect to him Or to his personality or whatever it was that he was doing. Paul, it seems, was purposely trying to be cautious. Look, I don't want to promote myself. I don't want to conduct myself in a way where I become the main attraction and people start to get attached to me. Paul says that would not be good. You know, it's a very unhealthy thing when a pastoral figure conducts themselves in a manner where it becomes too much about them. And all of a sudden, somehow, you know, it becomes people being awed by the pastoral figure or connected to the pastoral figure or or same thing can happen. I think even if we're not careful at times with a church where somehow we just begin to conduct ourselves in a way where, you know, it becomes too much emphasis about how impressive a particular church is or a ministry is. And it's almost like the church becomes the, you know, the important sports team. And it doesn't matter how they perform. They're your team. Doesn't matter what they're doing, That if we got to be a part of this church, and and somehow that can begin to happen too where, you know, I mean, again, I'm a, a pastor, a senior pastor now for, you know, since 1999. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who complain out the gazoo about a ministry. But, oh, but but, but I got to, st- this church, is such a great church. Well, you're telling me this is going wrong. Boy, it's such a great church. It can, well, it's like trying to be, con- I mean, it's like, it's like how we all are with the eagles, right? I mean, it's just it's a great illustration. It's the eagles. It doesn't matter how bad or how good. It's, I'm for the eagles.
1: I'm not leaving the eagles,
0: man. And sometimes people are like that with a church or a minute. Again, it's too much about a church. Too, too much about a persona. I mean, we got to be careful. What the people need ultimately, what people need is an encounter with Jesus, I mean, truth be told, if we were to be very candid, a pastoral figure, or a local church is not really a very good solution for people because both a pastoral figure and any local church are not only limited. Sometimes they can start to steer people in a wrong way. But that's something Jesus would never do. And that's why Paul says here, look, we don't promote ourselves, our personalities, our ministry. We promote Jesus. Because what people ultimately need for help is they need Jesus. And when we're not there, they can still find Jesus. And if we start to do something wrong, if they're connected to Jesus, that's what's going to help them long term. That's why Paul says we're just humble bond servants for Jesus' sake. We're just trying to tell people, hey, can we tell you about our master? We're bond servants. Can we just tell you about our master, Jesus? You need to meet him. He can really help you in your life and Paul describes how that happens verse 6 for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so Paul gives hopeful assurance there of the almighty power of God by giving the illustration of God's power seen what in the original creation account you see what he says in the first part of verse 6 It is the God who at one time commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. He's referring to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God, by all of his power, is so strong that with a spoken word, his creative power and his authority, he simply spoke light and darkness disappeared. He simply spoke light and and, and light shined in and darkness went away miraculously. And Paul says here, verse six, look what he's doing. He says that same God of power who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, he can do the same thing in a darkened human soul. He says, it's that same God who did that, who has shown light into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's describing this process and he's saying, because this is what he did in us. He's I'm just telling you from firsthand experience, I'm not trying to preach theory. He says he's shown into our hearts I mean, think of Paul the Apostle's life. Remember Paul's life before he came to Jesus? Paul was in a really dark place. I mean, his heart was hard towards the Lord. He was in an unbelieving condition. He was blinded spiritually. And Paul says, but that same God of creation who spoke light into the darkness, he said he shined his light into our hearts. And we were in the dark. And God illuminated everything to us. And he mercifully shined his powerful light into our lives. And now he says, now we see it. And Paul's saying this God can repeat that same miracle again and again. Not the miracle of creating the heavens and the earth, but the miracle of creating new creations in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Shining light into a darkened soul. Paul says we were lost in the dark and God shined his supernatural light he broke in and let us see he says the light of the gospel and he said we found the knowledge we know it now the glory of God it's found in the face of Jesus that is Jesus as we look into the face of Jesus we experience that's it that's the glory of God right there because in the face of Jesus when we come face to face with him We all find what our soul truly needs. Paul says we are forgiven and headed to heaven and have a relationship with God because God mercifully shined his light into our dark souls. And look, folks, this morning, for any of us in this room who are truly converted to Christ, that's honestly all of our story. All of our story in this room this morning is verse 6 right there. God rescued us out of a really dark place. Out of a really dark place, God shined his light into our soul by his power. And that's what we should be asking God to do again and again and again and again. God, shine your light into people's hearts. God, you have the power of creating the heavens and the earth. Shine your light into people's hearts, Lord. Shine your light into hearts. Change people. Bring them face to face with Jesus Christ. He says, verse seven, concluding, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may be, he says, of God and not of us. Paul was amazed that the power of God's treasure dwells in such weak human vessels. He speaks here of this treasure, which is a reference to the glorious gospel of salvation and the powerful work of the spirit of the Lord being present inside of a person and working in their life. Paul viewed that as a valuable treasure because he knew that's what was most valuable to God. See, it's a treasure because it cost God a whole lot to bring it about, cost him the life of his son. And it's a treasure because God knows when a person discovers forgiveness through Jesus and eternal life through Jesus and a true experience with God through Jesus, That enriches a person's soul in a way like nothing else on this earth can. And so Paul says, this is true treasure. And he says, where's God chosen to store this treasure? He says, in earthen vessels. An earthen vessel wasn't like a gold or a silver vessel. An earthen vessel was usually clay or mud baked in in an oven. And so earthen vessels, usually they, they weren't real valuable. They cracked easily. They got damaged easily. They got defiled easily. They fell apart. They were weak in usage. And he says, yet God put his spiritual treasure where? In earthen vessels. He's referring to our lives, our bodies, made of the dust of this earth. And he says, God puts all of his treasure, this valuable work of his spirit and, and the gospel. And where does, he, where does God store his treasure? In weak frail, chipped, cracked, falling apart human vessels like us. Why? He says so that everybody would see the excellent power of God. It's not of weak human vessels. It's all God doing it. It's all God's power changing lives and working through lives. Look, today, can I encourage you? Don't lose heart and give up because God, Paul says, is patient and merciful. And yes, the devil is trying to powerfully blind people and ruin people's lives, but there is an almighty God of creation who can work by his power and intervene and bring breakthroughs in people's lives as he shines his light into human souls. And how wonderful, hallelujah, that we don't have to be strong and strive, but that we can know that we are weak and can trust in the power of God to work in us and to work through us.